0: Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. Section 1. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Newspaper Articles written by Mark Twain. Section 1. Territorial Enterprise, October 1862. Territorial Enterprise, Nevada Territory. Territorial Enterprise, October 1st, 1862. Local Column. A Gale. About seven o'clock Tuesday evening, September 30th, a sudden blast of wind picked up a shooting gallery, two lodging-houses, and a drug-store from their tall wooden stilts, and set them down again some ten or twelve feet back of their original location, with such a degree of roughness as to jostle their insides into a sort of chaos. There were many guests in the lodging-houses at the time of the accident but it is pleasant to reflect that they seized their carpet-sacks and vacated the premises with an alacrity suited to the occasion. No one hurt. THE INDIAN TROUBLES ON THE OVERLAND ROUTE Twelve or fifteen emigrant wagons arrived here on Monday evening, and all but five moved on towards California yesterday one of the five wagons which will remain in the city is in charge of a man from story county iowa who started across the plains on the fifth of may last in company with a large train composed principally of emigrants from his own section from him we learn the following particulars when in the vicinity of raft river this side of fort hall the train was attacked in broad daylight by a large body of snake Indians. The emigrants, taken entirely by surprise, for they had apprehended no trouble, made but a feeble resistance, and retreated, with a loss of six men and one woman of their party. The Indians also captured the teams belonging to thirteen wagons, together with a large number of loose cattle and horses. The names of those killed in the affray are as follows. Charles Bullwinkle from New York, William Moats, George Adams, and Elizabeth Adams, and three others whose names our informant had forgotten. The survivors were overtaken on the afternoon by a train numbering a hundred and eleven wagons, which brought them through to Humboldt. They occasionally discovered the dead bodies of emigrants by the roadside. At one time twelve corpses were found, at another four— and at another two all minus their scalps they also saw the wrecks of many wagons destroyed by the indians shortly after the sufferers by the fight recorded above had joined the large train it was also fired into in the night by a party of snake indians but the latter finding themselves pretty warmly received drew off without taking a scalp about a week before these events transpired a party of emigrants numbering forty persons was attacked near city rocks by the same tribe of uncivilized pirates five young ladies were carried off and it is thought women and children in all to the number of fifteen all the men were killed except one who made his escape and arrived at humboldt about the twentieth of september this train was called the methodist train which was not altogether inappropriate since the whole party knelt down and began to pray as soon as the attack was commenced every train which has passed over that portion of the route in the vicinity of city rocks since the first of august has had trouble with the indians when our informant left humboldt several wagons had just arrived whose sides and covers had been transformed into magnified nutmeg graters by indian bullets the snakes corralled the train when a fight ensued which lasted forty-eight hours. The whites cut their way out, finally, and escaped. We could not learn the number of killed and wounded at this battle. More Indian Troubles Mr. L. F. Yates, who arrived in this city a few days since from Pikes Peak, has given us the following particulars of a fight his train had on the eighth of last August, about one and a half miles this side of the junction of the Landers' Cut-Off, and fort bridge roads their train consisted of fifteen wagons and forty men with a number of women and children the train was attacked while passing along a ravine by a party of indians being concealed in among a thick grove of poplar bushes when the attack commenced most of the front wagons were some eighty rods in advance they formed in corral and entrenched behind their wagons refused the slightest aid to those who were struggling with the savages in the rear the party thus left to fight their way through the ambushed indians numbered but nine men and there were but four guns with which to maintain the battle five of the nine were killed and one wounded the names of the killed are as follows parmalee james Steele, james a hart rufus c mitchell from central city colorado territory and mcmahon residence unknown the name of the man wounded is frank lyman he was shot through the lungs recovered the thirty-one men who were hidden snugly behind their wagons with a single honorable exception refused to render the slightest assistance to those who were fighting for their lives and the lives of their families so near them although they had twenty-seven guns they refused to lend a single gun when at one time four men went to ask assistance. The cowards all clung to their arms, and lay trembling behind their wagons. A man named Perry, or Berry, was the only one who had sufficient courage to attempt to render his struggling friends any assistance. He was shot in the face before reaching the rear wagons, and was carried back to the corral. The fight lasted nearly two hours, and some seven or eight Indians were killed, as at various times they charged out of the bushes on their ponies several indian horses were killed and at length the few left alive fought through to where their thirty heroic friends were corralled, leaving the killed and two wagons in possession of the indians thirty bigger cowards and meaner men than those above mentioned never crossed the plains we are certain that every man of them left the states for fear of being drafted into the army territorial enterprise october fourth eighteen sixty two petrified man a petrified man was found some time ago in the mountains south of gravelly ford every limb and feature of the stony mummy was perfect not even excepting the left leg which has evidently been a wooden one during the lifetime of the owner which lifetime by the way came to a close about a century ago, in the opinion of a savant who has examined the defunct. The body was in a sitting posture, and leaning against a huge mass of croppings. The attitude was pensive, the right thumb resting against the side of the nose. The left thumb partially supported the chin, the forefinger pressing the inner corner of the left eye, and drawing it partly open. The right eye was closed." and the fingers of the right hand spread apart. This strange freak of nature created a profound sensation in the vicinity, and our informant states that by request, Justice Sewell, or Sowell, of Humboldt City, at once proceeded to the spot, and held an inquest on the body. The verdict of the jury was that deceased came to his death from protracted exposure, etc., The people of the neighborhood volunteered to bury the poor unfortunate, and were even anxious to do so. But it was discovered, when they attempted to remove him, that the water which had dripped upon him for ages from the crag above, had coursed down his back and deposited a limestone sediment under him, which had glued him to the bedrock upon which he sat, as with a cement of adamant. And Judge S., refused to allow the charitable citizens to blast him from his position. The opinion expressed by his honor that such a course would be little less than sacrilege was eminently just and proper. Everybody goes to see the stone man, as many as three hundred having visited the hardened creature during the past five or six weeks. Territorial Enterprise, Late October, 1862. THE SPANISH MINE this comprises one hundred feet of the great comstock lead and is situated in the midst of the ophir claims we visited it yesterday in company with mr kingman assistant superintendent and our impression is that stout legged people with an affinity to darkness may spend an hour or so there very comfortably a confused sense of being buried alive and a vague consciousness of stony dampness and huge timbers and tortuous caverns and bottomless holes with endless ropes hanging down into them and narrow ladders climbing in a short twilight through the colossal lattice-work and suddenly perishing in midnight and workmen poking about in the gloom with twinkling candles is all or nearly all that remains to us of our experience in the spanish mine Yet, for the information of those who may wish to go down and see how things are conducted in the realms beyond the jurisdiction of daylight, we are willing to tell a portion of what we know about it. Entering the Spanish tunnel in A Street, you grope along by candlelight for two hundred and fifty feet. But you need not count your steps. Keep on going until you come to a horse. This horse works a whim used for hoisting ore from the infernal regions below, and from long service in the dark his coat has turned to a beautiful black color. You are now upon the confines of the ledge, and from this point several drifts branch out to different portions of the mine. Without stopping to admire these gloomy grottos, you descend a ladder and halt upon a landing where you are fenced in with an open-work labyrinth of timbers some eighteen inches square, extending in front of you and behind you, and far away above you and below you, until they are lost in darkness. These timbers are framed in squares, or stations, five feet each way, one above another, and so neatly put together that there is not room for the insertion of a knife-blade where they intersect. You are apt to wonder where the forest around you came from and how they managed to get it into that hole and what sums of money it must have cost and so forth and so on and you wind up with a confused notion that the man who designed it all had a shining talent for sawmills on a large scale he could build the framework beautifully at any rate whereupon you desist from further speculation and waltz down a very narrow winding staircase and the further you squirm down it, the dizzier you get, and the more those open timber squares seem to whiz by you, until you feel as if you are falling through a well-ventilated shot-tower, with the windows all open. Finally, after you have gone down ninety-four feet, you touch bottom again, and find yourself in the midst of the sawmill yet." with the regular accomplishments of workmen and windlasses and glimmering candles and etc., as usual. Now you can stoop and dodge about under the stations and get your clothes dirty and drip hot candle grease all over your hands and find out how they take those timbers and commence at the top of the mine and build them together like mighty window-sashes all the way down to the bottom of it and if after coming down that tipsy staircase you can by any possibility make out to understand it then you can render the information useful above ground by building the third story of your house to suit you first and continuing its erection wrong end foremost until you wind up with the cellar you will also find out that at this depth the lead is forty-six feet wide with its sides walled and weatherboarded as compactly and substantially as those of a jail. And here and there, in little recesses, the walls of the lead are laid bare, showing the blue-silver lines traced upon the white quartz, after the fashion of variegated marble. This, in places you know, while others, where the ore is richer, the blue predominates, and the white is scarcely perceptible from these various recesses a swarm of workmen are constantly conveying wheelbarrow loads of quartz to the windlasses of all shades of value from that worth seventy-five dollars to that worth three thousand dollars per ton and if you should chance to be in better luck than we were you may happen to stumble on a small specimen worth a dollar and a half a pound such things have occurred in the spanish mine before now however As we were saying, you are now 170 feet under the ground, and you can move about and see how the ore is quarried and moved from one place to another, and how systematically the great mine is arranged and worked all together, and how unsystematically the Mexicans used to carry on business down there, and you may get into a bucket, if you please, and extend your visit to the confines of purgatory, so to speak if you feel anxious to do so but as this would afford you nothing more than a glance at the bottom of a drain-shaft you could better employ your time and talents in climbing that corkscrew and seeking daylight again and before leaving the mouth of the tunnel you would do well to visit the office of mr beckwith the superintendent where you can see a small cabinet of specimens from the mine, which has been pronounced by scientific travelers to be one of the richest collections of the kind in the world. We shall have occasion to speak of the steam hoisting apparatus now in process of erection by the Spanish company at an early day. End of section one.